Today's guest is John Scott. Now, John is a good friend of the podcast. He has been on a couple times before. He has had a very extensive NDE, and it took us two podcasts to try to get all of it, and I'm not even sure we got it all. But today, I think I'm going to try to emphasize some of the after effects of his NDE. First, I want to say welcome, John. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me again. Pleasure. Yes. John is pretty active on an NDE, if not many NDE Facebook groups. And if you're new to NDEs or new to my channel and you want to communicate with other people, I suggest that you check out some of the Facebook groups. Also, I want to quickly note that John is a terrific artist and I think he does paintings of his NDE experiences as well as he is an author of a book that we'll tell you about later, so you can check that out as well. And also, I have a new title for John. It's going to be a rock star NDE experiencer. And the reason why I'm saying this, and, I, and what I want to know is, from his Facebook action, there's a lot of beautiful girls wanting to be his friend on Facebook. And I want to know, what is going on with your NDE? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> that was a curveball. You got me. Um, uh, that was just a big joke. <laughs> strike one. I just swung. I just swung at the pitch. Woof. Missed it. <laughs> Straight through to the keeper. That's called misdirection. <laughs> <laughs> misdirection? Okay. Ball one. Ball one. <laughs> Ball one. Take a walk. All right. Ball four. Well, Take a walk. Take it. All right, to be serious here, I want to know this. After speaking to a couple people who've had near-death experiences, they have told me that there are parts of their NDE that they do not share publicly anywhere, not on podcasts, and they may only share it from one NDE person to another. Like they'll ask, hey, did this happen to you? Yes, that happened to me, blah, blah, blah. So is there something like that that happened to you? Absolutely. That, and that you have never shared and you're willing to share with us? Uh, no, no, because <laughs> I feel, um, yes, I, I can't speak for any other NDE, okay, um, at all, because mine happened 30 years ago, but it was like it's it's so present. It's um, something that is so deep, that it seems to embed itself into your very psyche or your consciousness itself. And it's almost like, um, for me anyway, it was like <clears throat> going through a university degree and just getting slammed with the biggest exam. And uh, there's no pass or fail. It's just that it's an experience. And it's like then, and the experience for me was so vast because mine took roughly about two days I didn't even know what the term NDE meant till 20 years later. I wasn't even interested in this stuff. And um, it took me so long to sort this out. And um, as I said, I, you know, the post reactions is I nearly went mad. Uh, it, it really pushed my, the fringes of my consciousness to levels that oh, I had no idea. I mean, you don't have a counselor. I didn't know any counselors. And so one tends to object, refer to authorities. Um, whether they be psychologists or religious uh, people or whatever, and they all have these projections about, you know, what happened to me. And they were all fell short and they were all subjective um, projections onto my experience. And the experience is, I can't, like I said, I can't speak for anyone else, but the experience changes you or change me forever. And 
it not only it changed my views of the external world, but it expanded them, but it also pushed me so far inward into my subconscious and beyond the subconscious mind. And that's really, uh, for want of a better word, you've just entered a whole universe from this platform you're born with through your conditions and imprints. And then all of a sudden you're thrust into this vast area, territory that you have no reference point. And so, you know, I saw a lot of, I read a lot of Joseph Campbell stuff, you know, uh, the hero's journey and, and, you know, his great works on mythology. And he talks about uh, shamans, how they go into the underworld. And um, I thought, wow, this really resonates with what's happened to me. I don't call myself a shaman. I don't like the word. I think it's overused. Um, I do know the origins of the word. Uh, they do go, it does go back to Egypt. And I can talk about the origins of the word shaman later, if you like, if you can bring that back up. Let me um, jump in here real quick, because for people who are new to the podcast and have never seen you before, there are two podcasts with John, as I previously said, but I just want to catch you up real quickly. John ate a poisonous mushroom while he was alone, kind of like on a camping, but in Australia, they, I'm not, they call it something else, a walkabout or out in the bush or something, and had his NDE there and basically went into the cosmos and saw all kinds of things. So I just kind of wanted added those in real quick for the new people. Yeah, thank. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like a refresher because, mm-hmm. and again, um, post-NDE, let's scroll forward. And I, and I never mm-hmm. read any others. I really mm-hmm. tried to keep away from it because I didn't want to contaminate my own experience. And I didn't pick stuff from any others. But after I wrote my book and after I, I, I did jot stuff down for years, I started to get some semblance of what was going on and what happened to me. I feel really sorry for people who've been smashed in a car accident, their heart stops or their brain stops or whatever. I think I've been very fortunate because mine was through an accidental poisoning. And yet obviously my body was primed enough to transmute those poisons, um, you know, through a misidentification. And I'm not a drug addict. I don't go out having fun, chomping on mushrooms for fun. That's not my style. I mean, I was in the military. I was in the Navy and I was playing first grade ice hockey. I was into sport and, you know, just living my life basically. But due to my fitness level, um, obviously that had some factor in it. So bookending that with what I was mentioning about um, shamanism and the imbibing of of these kinds of um, earth plants and transcendental. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, they're drugs. I don't have a bit of instability in the connection a lot of these sacraments uh in religion hence like uh, aka the wine and bread for example i think they're code words for in some cases these powerful hallucinogens that they're, they then i think even the word hallucinogen is wrong because the term hallucinate means a distorted reality mm-hmm. I, I prefer to call them amplifiers mm. uh, amplifying uh spheres of consciousness but you have to prime yourself and prepare so i was inadvertently prepared physically for this through physical and biological processes of being fit and you know i was very fit um so synchronistically the accident almost became um a divine guidance without me knowing it if that makes sense 
I've pondered that aspect. Why me? Why did I have this experience? And I've had two NDEs and many OBEs. I don't talk about the first NDE because I only went through the tunnel. And this is a classic, you know, a lot of people don't go through the tunnel, but I went through the same tunnel when I was 18 and I got different, um, different information. You know, as soon as you, I entered the tunnel, I didn't even know where I was going. I thought I didn't have any concept of hallucinations or visions or anything. But then scroll forward 10 years and I had a full-blown uh, what people call an NDE or a spiritually transformative experience. And um, so I could at least bookend the two experiences, but the second one was just phenomenal. And um, to go back to what you originally said about there's some intimate aspects of it that are not to be really spoken about or shared. Um, from my point of view, it's because there are people out there who would possibly take advantage of these stories, manufacture them to sway people in a certain direction. And I come from a, a pure intent of love because that's what I experienced on the other side, along with karma and all the cosmology and all the ontological information that I've sorted out through my 27 years as a recluse. And you don't lie about this stuff. It's, it's, I'm adamant about it. You don't play with it. Mm -hmm. Don't go and write a book and try to make money out of it because you'll end up getting smashed. You can create negative karma by lying. Yeah, you might get away with it for a decade or two, but eventually you do get caught out. Eventually all lies come to the surface. Mm -hmm. And uh, you don't want that to happen because that gets into other areas of karma. And that's where I get into the process of, or the cosmology of why we even have NDEs or Gnostic experiences yeah. in general, Jeff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've fattened out my intellectual knowledge. And yeah, it's available. Some people quip and they say this metaphysical information is available everywhere. But yeah, that's true. But Gnostically experiencing it is completely different. So if I was a person who had had an NDE and we were together private, would you share that information with me privately because I also was an experiencer or would you still keep it private to yourself? Uh, it's hypothetical because you have, you have, have you had an NDE? No and, spiritual I, transformative? no, and I don't want you to feel like I'm not asking again for you to tell me. I'm just curious no, if, sure, you would, sure. if you would just share it with another NDEer. Um. That's a good question because when I wrote my book um, and I had a lot of time to contextualize my experience and I shared as much as I could that I thought, uh, you know, and I got guided on things that I was not meant to show. I was given visions not to show certain things, right? Even now, 27 years later, and I thought, oh, I wonder why. I thought I'm very innocent and naive. I think everybody's going to be a good person and nice like me, but they're not. Mm. my motive is not the same as yours a great sufi once said just because i'm enlightened doesn't mean to say you are and i thought well so i i really listened to that and i just pulled back a bit and yes i discussed some aspects and some people commented and said john you put together your nde and it reminded me and took me back to my own experience and contextualized areas that they'd forgotten about and so by sharing it it unveiled those hidden aspects that they experienced but then later forgot and this seems to be a very common attribute of people who have powerful experiences. They come back, they had, they remember a certain part, just like I did, and then I had this later unfolding 
of more and deeper information that that because then when you're in an earthly body and our mind works in a strange platform like it's normally linear most of where we're driven by a follows b follows c follows d but then with the nde the whole alphabet's shoved in in one big hologram you've got to make sense of this jumble because all the information hits you at once and so the trans, I found the most difficult part was translating a holographic um, experience into something that resembled uh, a timeline that made sense. And that, that was the most difficult part, mm-hmm. extremely difficult. Um, sometimes terms I use may be oversimplified. Um, so, but I've gone off track on the question. Um, I share as much as I can. And the most important thing is the love. The second most important thing is, well, the ND for me was so pure and so simple that our mind, uh, the way it's structured, cannot understand simplicity. We can't understand it. It's too simple. It's too pure. And so we're constantly trying to work it out. And that's our intellectual mind overlaying constructs and questions and answers. No, there are no questions and answers when you have this experience because it's all simultaneously answered for you. Um, but then sharing it, sharing that experience is almost impossible. And so when I verbalize my experience with another ND and I've had a few people I've spoken about it with, um, they reached a certain level that may have been for them. And like they might've seen Jesus or Buddha or, Krishna or whatever. And so that may have been their experience to give them information to help them on their particular incarnation. And everybody has a subjective delivery. And occasionally, um, possibly there's people who do have a, a deeper experience. But remember, there's a lot of ego and people want to compete. My experience is bigger than yours kind of thing. So hmm got to get beyond that you have to get beyond that and say well what did i come back with that's valid what 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 really can help everybody or the bigger picture like a spread marketing delivery right love but love is such an overused word and it's it's really underutilized in the way we affect our actions people say love all the time all the time they say it all the time i don't like using the word and i don't like saying i'll promise you something or because I'm thinking I can't deliver if, you know, if I don't deliver through my actions, it's pointless talking about it. So your actions become more important. I think Native Americans, Indigenous Native Americans are very good. They'll watch you for 10 years. They're not interested in what white man says. So they watch you and see what you're doing. And this is part of the experience that I came back with, was seeing things clearly without labeling them, as soon as we label something, phenomena or a person or an event, where that label extends into a belief and a pattern and then more often than not ends up as a judgment, good, bad, this, that, this is this, this is that. And you've got, and you've got to be very careful with that, you know, <clears throat> because this dualistic mind trap, it's a trap. Once you start saying this is this and this is that, you're trapped in duality, and duality is the problem. It's what we've fallen into. And there's, I'm telling you, there's levels within levels of density of duality. 
um, from the biological, emotional, mental, then spiritual plane. They all have dualistic concepts. And this is another subject in and of itself. Since you are pretty active on the Facebook groups, and you may see people come into the groups that are new to having NDEs, maybe recently experienced them, or they're just really now wanting to find out more about them. For somebody that's new with an NDE, what kind of advice do you have for them? None. None? None, because generally um, they'll ask pertinent questions uh, from the level that they've experienced. And often um, I tend to go for the, for the deeper questions. I mean, those, those early questions, they get answered often by many people. And I think I find it extraordinary that if someone can have a powerful experience and then next week get on the forum and talk about it, um, that wasn't my case. I was so blown away by the profundity of it. I couldn't talk for 25 years. Mm-hmm. I could, I did, like my experience happened circa 1990. I didn't say anything until 2010, 2012. And even then it was like extracting, um, extracting water out of a rock. I just didn't really want to talk about it because I didn't realize that it was a phenomena happening right across the planet. It wasn't until I did a podcast with um, Caribbean Radio with um, Dr. Evie Richardson and Joe Holmesy was the host and we spoke and he gave me the numbers and I was shocked and I didn't feel so isolated because it's very, it is very isolating. Mm. And I had spoken about it often earlier on myself and tried to approach, as I said, experts, but we never had the internet back then. So people are going to ask their questions and every people often want questions or answers, sorry, that make it easy. They want easy answers. Oh, my mum and dad's going to be on the other side and, and, you're going to be okay and your dog's up there and you can go and play jazz or fishing or do anything. And it's like, well, I don't agree with that because my experience didn't show me that. I mean, the whole concept of, say, for example, seeing anthropomorphic imagery, anthropomorphic means seeing people with two arms, two legs and recognizable. Um, That's problematic for me because the universe gets into pure light, which is non-anthropomorphic. When you, when I got right to the light, there was no imagery it contained everything and nothing simultaneously. I just couldn't see anything but light. And yet the um, emotional content was so amplified. It was like chucking an amplifier onto a million, you know, mm-hmm. from a 10 setting up to it's like the information was phenomenal. And it wasn't thrusting it down my throat. It just was. And so there's an absorption process going on here during my experience. When I reached that absolute level, I tried to see past it, the light. I tried to see through it. And there was every conundrum that I can think of arose. And, and that's why it sent me almost bonkers because it was nothing and everything. It was the oldest, wisest thing being whatever you want to call it, God, it, you know, deity force. It knew everything but it was still an unborn baby. It still wanted to know and learn. And so some of the most interesting questions that I've answered, and I think we discussed this uh, prior to this podcast, was what were the most um, powerful questions that I answered on the forum? Well, one of them was about what's our purpose? Mm-hmm. And the question I gave, and it was quite a long answer, was basically the creator um 
doesn't create anything. It just changes form from light into density. So everything pre-exists, everything always existed. Whether we want to define the cosmos as multiple big bangs, yes. I would say they're multiple manifestations and then implosions and then explosions through density. So it's always here. Now, this did my head in because we always think in terms of beginning and end. There's that linear process in consciousness. And it's like far out. This has always existed. It's There's no time, but it's always existed. Another conundrum, you see. So I really freaked out because I thought, there's no escape. It just is. How did it begin? How did it even start? See, see, this is where the logical mind tries to work it out. And it sent me nuts, absolutely bonkers. Because I thought, you know, I'd seen, I'd had a million lives. I just mm-hmm. knew it. Mm-hmm. I'd been there millions of times before. And this challenges the ontological process of especially the Abrahamic religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism saying we only have one life and it's just not true it's just not true you said it's just not true so you can say with 100 percent certainty that absolutely that reincarnation was ripped out so you can say with 100 percent certainty that reincarnation is true for me yes for me yes so whether we want to define reincarnation as um part of the the resurrection doctrine and you say, well, what's resurrecting? Your memory's resurrecting. Your knowing is resurrecting. Your subconscious is becoming conscious and coming from the from that deep dark space into the foreground, and it becomes cognitive as opposed to uh, non-cognitive. So everything is coming out, and the Bible does say that. It says all truths will come out. Everything that's hidden will be seen. It's talking about consciousness is manifesting and coming out and manifesting from a once unseen platform. Carl Jung talks about the subconscious. Yes, I agree. So the more love, and I mean, the creator can just focus on this planet, pump love into it and destroy it. It could literally blow the planet apart if it chose to. But it's not a hateful deity. So when it starts to amp the love up, what happens is, the love starts pouring into the planet because it's uh, made up of light and sound, like everything in the universe. And as it lifts the vibration, all the lower vibrations start to shatter and implode in on each other because it can't handle that frequency. It's like an engine, uh, you know, blowing up on the drag strip. If you haven't refined that engine to take in certain fuel, it won't reach the speeds that you uh, recommended speeds that you've projected. It's the same thing. It's a physics. It's a physics thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is the faster or the higher the, or subtler vibration, all of this starts to evolve and get subtler. Mm-hmm. The denser vibrations shatter and break. Classic parable. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. A biblical parable. They're talking about the body as a wineskin, the, the physical vessel. And when the new wine comes in, which is a metaphor for subtle energy from deity, and that's not, it's, it's, you know, it's not just Christians. I mean, it's everybody because that energy is going to start pouring and it is starting to pour in. Mm-hmm. And um, the old physical body starts to break down. You get sick, illnesses manifest, you know, where you used to drink a lot before you can't handle the alcohol because that's a denser vibration. 
you can't handle denser thoughts. You can't ha- handle evil or darkness or negativity or violence. Mm. These are all very base um, attributes. And um, <clears throat> so we're moving toward a more subtle uh, vibration, which has been predicted for thousands, tens of thousands of years, and now it's upon us. Um, yeah. So I got off track from the actual question, as I, I do that often because my mind wanders. A oh, that's bit. okay. Let me let me switch gears on you here, since I wanted to talk about after effects, and I heard you mention just today that you are a, you are a recluse. Did you become reclusive due to your NDE? And if so, why and what were you like before? Um, good question. Uh, I was just your average ratbag kid. You know, mm-hmm. as I said, I played sport and I rode motorbikes and um, I was an atheist. Um, I did questionable things. I didn't harm anyone. I always had a good heart. Um, I didn't purposely go out and harm anyone, but I just didn't really. My boundaries were a bit um, too loose. Mm-hmm. And I got into trouble and, you know, so just an average kid. I was a surfer and just, just having an average life. But then when the experience hit me, it was so powerful. It actually, the the effects were immediate. And it was, I was babbling about the experience because it was so powerful. But I couldn't contextualize it and everyone thought I'd gone mad. My friends sort of just drifted and let me go. And mm. and then I've retouched base with them 20 years later and and a couple of them said, John, you haven't changed one bit. Your story hasn't changed one bit from what happened back then. And that's why we know that it's valid because we've seen you change. You know, you've disappeared. You've cleaned your act up. You don't do things that you would have done. Um, no way. I wouldn't do that stuff anymore. I just don't have time for it. So to fatten that answer out, I got interested in um, quantum physics. Well, anything that presented itself I was pulled like a bull with a ring in my nose. And I just started to study stuff that I thought was interesting. Physics, quantum, you know, all of this stuff was coming in. I had no, no background in science. Trust me, I didn't, I hated school. You know, I was a, just a clown and I just, you know, just bumbled along and didn't care less. Mm-hmm. And now I'm talking about particle acceleration physics and quantum and getting into biochemistry, anything that's interesting, you know, um Feynman's theory you know Pauli spin all of this stuff you know these are Nobel Prize winners for physics and I can I can understand them intuitively and I understand where they're coming from because everything in the physics world is also applied to us and the biggest danger is we're applying it we constantly project science as being out there to look under a microscope or through a Hubble telescope or the observations through deconstruction or smashing particles together. Now, we do that here in our own consciousness. We, we need to reflect and say, well, hang on. Consciousness is the primary driver of any inquiry, any philosophical inquiry. We posit a question, is the universe, has the universe, gravity waves, dark matter? So then we set up experiments theoretical you know we're from a theoretical premise and then we start looking for observations so we're creating our reality and we've got to remember that even science is doing that and true science uh, is much like metaphysics and much like the internal search for your soul and who you are it's the same thing we're looking for the ineffable we're looking for patterns that we've never seen before But the problem is we don't know, we don't have the equipment to look for these patterns because we don't know 
the, the we, we can only theorize, yes, we might find that answer. But when you're dealing with consciousness, those an- the, the, the answer or the, sorry, the answer is thrust on you before you even have the question, especially with the NDE. The answer was thrust onto me before I even had the question, but maybe I was already asking the right questions prior. What's the meaning of life? Where are we going? What's mm-hmm. happening to us? We all have these deep questions, you know, what's our purpose? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people go, Oh, you know, does that make sense? I- yes, it does. But let me go a little deeper here. So how do you define reclusivity? Are you just like not interested in, participating that much with society anymore or well only because of the behavioral psychology behind it and i've studied a bit of behavioral psychology post nda i went through all of robert anton wilson's stuff his eight circuit theory which i found very very helpful and um he was the protege of tim leary and tim leary was um countercultural uh, revolutionist and they demonized him and said he was a drug addict but the guy was also a doctor of psychology and um, these great people that came through, like Terence and Dennis McKenna, I've actually spoken with Dennis through email many years ago, but um, they all have the same inquiries, inquiries that each generation has. So when I say reclusive, um, I, was, uh, I go back to the eight circuits of human consciousness. And the first four basically are paraphrased within Freudian psychology. The latter four were Jungian, and they were more into archetypes and transcendental. And most of humanity is only stuck in the first four circuits, which are mostly tribal, socio-semantic circuits, which bind tribes together through linguistic binders and all of this sort of thing. Mm. And um, I'd heard the repetition of the same thing over and over and over and over again. So I got bored. I thought, no, I've heard that for thousands of years. I'm not interested in that anymore. So that's a closed system. Mm. Ilya Prigogine, Nobel laureate for open and closed systems. So closed systems die. So this is why new new things uh, in any sphere of science or inquiry, whatever, new things, we must have new things coming into our consciousness. Otherwise, humanity will die. We will die because we're driven primarily by consciousness. That's the first driver. So I left those groups because I realized <clears throat> I was in the matrix. I was in the box. The box is driven by habit. Mm. Habit is death. It's moribund. It slowly decays. And so when I entered into this other world, these other upper circuits, I thought, wow. And oddly enough, they're they're not fully objective, no. They're still paraphrased within a subjective reality tunnel, as Robert Anton Wilson would call it, but it expanded my ability to express my reality tunnel in a new way. And that's the word chaos is a misnomer. The world, look at nature. You've got all of these billions of species all working symbiotically together. It's chaos, but it's also order when we look at the bigger picture. Humanity is meant to survive off individuality within the collective. And the destruction of the individual will destroy humanity itself. This is where this gets into political attributes of free speech, free expression. And when someone tells you to be expressed through a pattern or an habitual belief that's very dangerous, it'll destroy it. The whole thing will implode and die because deep down in humanity, everyone wants to grow, everybody. But what's holding people back is fear 
they're terrified of growth because it means death. You have to kill the ego. You have to let all of that old stuff go. So Anton Wilson and all of these countercultural revolutions back in the 60s, some of them still alive today, they try to create a narrative. Some of them are trying to create a narrative of how we should think. I don't think we should go down that path at all. I think it's very dangerous. And th this is the, you know, the, where I say that power structures today, those basic four circuits are dominating and they're trying to, the, the, what I call the animal circuits, are trying to dominate our extraterrestrial circuits, those latter four. And it's those latter four circuits that actually expand us into a cosmological platform. It's beautiful once you're there. It's absolutely amazing because it's an interface between extraterrestrials and the bigger stuff. You, you move from kindergarten into junior high, and then when you have this NDE, you go up right up into the Berkeley and professor level. And it's beautiful because it's like, wow, I was so ignorant before. Mm -hmm. And then you see the ignorance and the levels everyone else's way because you're looking down on them and you say, no, no, you're in a, you're in a tribalism. You're in a tribal group. Yeah. You have to think for yourself. Don't believe anything I say. Question everything I say. Absolutely. You've got a brain. We've all given our own individual brain. And it's the, the one we use the least because we acquiesce our power through social power structures. We give it away, always. Object refer. He must have more information than me because of he wears a uniform or he's got a haircut or he's a lawyer or a barrister. No, I've found those people are just as insecure and frozen in their beliefs as I was. I don't mean that in a derogatory way because I can see past the mask now. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're losing their potential. And sadly, a lot of those people, they get old and they think, well, what did I... What did I do with my life? Pattern repeats, they reincarnate, they come back again because mm -hmm. they didn't grow. So that mm -hmm. takes me back to answering that big question, why are we here? And I answered a beautiful question on Facebook where <clears throat> somebody, um, I can't think of his name at the time, but he said this was a beautiful answer and it made sense. And what it was, every human being is sacred. Every animal is sacred. Everything that's living has a sanctity to it. There's a purpose from the drunk on the street to the mentally ill person, to the lawyer barrister, to the doctor, to the neurosurgeon, to the particle physicist. They all have a role and we're all interconnected in a bigger picture that we can't always see. So when we go back, when we die, and in my case, I got a review, a life review, but it was a multiple life review, not a singular life review. And some people have different reviews. What's happening is it's like you're a recorder and all of this stuff is discharged back into the light. I didn't want to come back because of the love, mm -hmm. but I've had time to think about it since I got back. And this, this discharge was part of God's growing. God needs to know, but it wants uh, new things. And I knew this intuitively. It was like downloaded that, each and every person goes back with something, no matter how small, as long as it's creative and new, the creator loves that. Whether it's purposeful mm -hmm. uh, is another question, you know, because mm -hmm. this judgment of right or wrong. But if you do something creative um, and you do something totally new and it wants to know, this, this gets into the deeper, hmm. deeper philosophical understanding of... Um, 
God expanding into darkness. It's like there's this expansion and then God's consciousness in the form of a quadrillion or trillions of little drones or sensors, us, it expands out into this darkness looking for new things. Mm. That's growth. And then as they die, it's this feedback loop and it keeps these entities or us, ETs, everything. We die, we take little bits of information back to deity and that's how deity grows and that forms a uh, one big one big bang and mm. one big uh, expansion and contraction mm. and it could time's relative so to us it might be billions of years in the higher dimensions it might be fairly quick it you know i, I can't really get my head around that that's the bit that i can't get my head around due to the time mm. well, relativity it's interesting that you mentioned god um, from what I understand, you're saying God likes people to be creative. Yes. So, since you are a painter, do you feel like you are being more creative with your painting for yes. God? Yes. Purposely for God? Yes, yes. Because it inspires other people. Mm. Ultimately, for me, it has to be about beauty because I think art can be manipulated and has been manipulated into, you know, movements or political agendas. I don't go down there. I'm not interested. So for me, my art has to touch people on an emotional, intuitive level to inspire them. I mean, I teach. I teach as well. Uh, and I give everything. I don't hold back. Because mm -hmm. the more I give, the more open I become and new things just happen to come in. So it's, and I'm not trying to say paint like me, God, no, I want you to discover yourself and dis discover who you are mm -hmm. because most people don't, they're terrified of finding out who they are because it's a destructive process because you've got to let go of the old Jeff. You have to let go of the old John till one day, Jeff and John don't even exist. You're just this pure flow. You just, you know, um, this constant flow of energy and creativity and if people want to make money out of that, fine. That's their bag. That's good. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. this is the vehicle we live in. You know, this is the mm -hmm. process of trade. Um, and I think where humanity is doing itself a disservice, I feel, uh, in that we've got some incredibly intellectual people. Some are doing the wrong thing, in my opinion. A lot are doing the right thing, and they don't realize that they're killing themselves. The one's doing the wrong thing. And this is where karma comes into it. The creator is allowing them to get away with this. It has empowered them. And in, in a sense, on an absolute level, it's giving them the choice to harm others. Okay? And it's up to us to take um, self-autonomy. And this is where choice comes into it, to choose not to harm others. And you get tested whether it's through speech, actions, thoughts, whatever. But you get everyone gets tested, and, and you keep getting tested. It's not like there's this ultimate goal where you just pop, you're there. Mm -hmm. It's a process, and this process is ongoing. So I'm constantly trying to polish that process as I get older so that when I go back for a life review, the positives can outweigh the negatives. Yeah. And that drives the incarnation process again. Mm. You know, I'm not frightened of coming back. It doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm suffering. Like everyone else, I've had some horrendous mm -hmm. suffering. But I don't attach myself to the suffering because that's ego, you know. Mm -hmm. There's a well, lot of people have suffered a lot worse than I have. Whole nations. Sure. You know? Yeah. 
Well, what are some of the other after effects that you've had from your NDE? Definitely altruism, um, compassion, mm-hmm. a lot more compassion for suffering. Mm-hmm. I don't like seeing the underdog getting harmed by bullies. Mm-hmm. And when you when I dig deeper into the bully mindset, you find that they were victims themselves. Yeah. And um, it tends to flow from top down um, in societal structures. So the ones at the very top who are bullying everyone into things that people don't want to do, they're victims. I see them as victims. They're trapped in their own victimhood. And they don't need to be. But they're too scared to let go of that that victimhood. They're too scared to let go of that that power because it empowers them through their suffering. And so it's very schadenfreude. They like to see other people suffering from a distance. I think Tool, there's a good line in the, the band Tool that says, I like to see things from a good safe, I like to, you know, see things from a good safe distance. So they're observing suffering and they love it because they're suffering inside. You know, what we call enemies and, you know, those of the state and intelligence agents, they're incredible minds. These guys are smart. But deep down, they're suffering and they're trapped in the matrix themselves. Mm. And um, they need more help than, say, you know, the people who... They need more help than the others. I know that sounds ironic, but, um, you know, I see it clearly. And that that gives me pain. So coming back doesn't all, it's not always nice. You don't it's not always rosy. The after effects are shocking. Because I think, oh my God, you know, when I saw the history, I talk about this in my book, the history of mankind, going back millions of years. And uh, a lot of this should have been averted. We should have been off planet and moving off world a million, you know, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand years ago on our cosmic journey. So this gets into other areas of why we keep coming back. Are we trapped? Are we controlled? No, it's just there's a process always. There's a process going on that we can't see. And when it happens, it's we always see it in hindsight, you know. Mm. We're all experts on World War Two, and we're all experts on World War One. but are we mm. going to be experts in World War Three? No. It's so funny that you mentioned World War Three. I watched this movie yesterday, and um, it was like a the world was pretty much destroyed from radiation from World War Three, And I was just thinking, I just kind of hit me that it just doesn't take, it's not going to take very much for every for everybody to start launching nukes, but it's, the planet's just going to be finished. I personally don't think that will happen. I don't think so either. But only, because, only because there's this innate sense of survival uh, I mean, I think they call it mad, mutually assured destruction. Right. Um, um, plus, I know there's extraterrestrial sources. I mean, we've discussed this before. Mm-hmm. And I- intelligence agencies know they exist. You know, they yes, they've got craft. I believe strongly they've got craft because I've personally been in one. Mm-hmm. I can't really? prove it. So, when, Can you tell you us know, about we, that? Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, it's like, again... Just because I've had an NDE and I've gone to the periphery of my consciousness doesn't mean to say I can still remember things. I still get veiled with things. Mm. And the extraterrestrial uh, dimension to all of this is really, really complex. And they seem, you know, I've seen so many arguments pro and for, for and against about why they're here, their purpose, and people are adamant. But again, 
their subjective realities. And and I've been in a craft twice. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't an abduction. I don't think it was an abduction because nothing happened to me harmful. Um, I think I discussed once um, in my book where I was in a craft and there was this low ovoid table. It's it kind of similar to the flat earth you got behind you as the backdrop. Mm-hmm. And it was down around my mid-thigh region, so it was quite low. And I observed that it was quite low. That was quite, for me, that was a bit odd because I would like to table a little bit higher, you know. So it wasn't designed for me or a human. Does that make sense? Or it didn't seem to. And it was levitating. It was floating. It was just there. It was alive. And and on this ovoid table, it was glowing very low in a very dark illuminated space. And I knew I was in a space. And I knew it was um, because I could smell it. I could feel it. It felt different. It wasn't a dream. It was like, I was was like, what what is this? And I was just thinking about this and I was looking around and it was dark. So I had, I wasn't restricted, but I felt I was being restricted, if that makes sense, without being restricted. So I had minimal movement. And as I watched this table, I could see the whole world map and it was moving. It was like, it was alive. I thought, wow, this is really amazing. And then another human appeared, another man. It was a man, male, and I just instantly telepathically said it's really, um, I said something along the lines of, um, it's really weird. It's really weird, like, what are we doing here? Or something something along the lines of that. Um, I've got it written down. And, um, and he said, yes, and he agreed with me. But we never actually spoke like, hey, you know, what is this? I tried to look around. I knew I was being watched, but I couldn't see it, right? And so after I'd observed the table, no, that's right. I said, it's really lonely up here, isn't it? That's what I said to him. It's really lonely up here. Mm-hmm. And he went, yes, it is. So obviously we'd met before, but I didn't recognize him. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, poof, I wake up in the morning and I close my eyes, like, you know, you do, you get up in the morning, you wake up, and then I close my eyes again, and I could see the craft leaving. I thought, shit, I've been in a craft, you know, wow. I just knew it straight away, and I was tired, I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I'd been up there, who knows, an hour, two, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But when I wake up tired, I know that, you know, I've been awake, and I haven't had a proper sleep. Mm-hmm. So that was one time. Uh, another time, I had, I've had multiple contacts, but again... A lot of people, you get all these fundamentalist nuts saying they're demons. Well, well, what are demons meant to do? Demons are meant to influence you into a negative format. And I know I'm not a negative person. I don't harm anyone. I don't harm anything. So define what a demon attribute is or why a demon would even put up this facade of taking you into a spacecraft and try to you know, inject an, some sort of an hallucination into my mind it's like, no, it is what it is. I don't try to label it. It just is what it is. For what purpose? Maybe uh, that table, that global table, is going to manifest later and unzip in the form of visions of um, things that happen on the world. I think it was like a future table. It was like something I'd looked at and seen the future, but I can't remember some of those things. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So no idea why. Uh, other people I know have been in craft. Amazing amazing stories better than mine Mm -hmm. (laughs) what i find interesting lately is that some of the more progressive ufo people are saying that aliens are traveling interdimensionally there are all these 
there and kind of not really calling them aliens, but calling them non-human intelligences. Yes. And they're saying that when you're on your NDE, you could be meeting angels, religious figures, or ETs. And they're kind of almost saying they're all non-human intelligences. And then um, one of the podcasts I just posted was a woman that during her NDE or one of her NDEs, she was, I think, in a cloud with God or something. And then she thought she was going back after me talking to God. I'm just kind of paraphrasing. And all of a sudden, instead of going straight to her body, she went straight to a UFO. That's that's all. And she was saying that I don't, I was never into this UFO stuff. I'm not into it. I'm not, I'm not interested in this. I went there. She was telling me what the ship looks like. Yep. describing the ship and then all of a sudden the yep. alien told her you need to go and then boom she popped back into her body exactly and the thing is like Jung used to posit the theory that it was an archetypal um, <clears throat> that it was somehow part of our archetype you know because of the 1930s injection of films and all of this sort of thing mm-hmm. but then you had um, researchers like Bud Hopkins rest in peace I went and saw his um um presentation way back just around the time i had my nde and i felt i was guided there and um i can't remember was it the hyatt kingsgate in king's cross sydney and uh, i got to speak with one of the keynote speakers he sat in front of me paladin jenkins and he's still he's quite ill at the moment but i got to i thought well two thousand people at this thing and here he sits right in front of me and has a cigarette and i said paladin and i quickly kicked off i said i don't want to bother you because you know you're probably going to get pounded with people approaching you and i started kicked off a conversation which was pertinent and he he was listening so because paladin also had a very powerful experience i think in a tibetan monastery and he's chance he had a full transformation (coughs) excuse me and then after that um he was promoting a book so and he's had powerful experiences with crop circles i've had powerful experiences with crop circles um, never got to go there, but didn't need to. I've got a good friend here, John Lusk, who lives in my village. Now, he's a professor of um, geology. He's no idiot. The guy's got a doctorate after his name. He sent me photos of a triangle on his upper thigh, like a tattoo, after he'd been into a physical crop circle. And it, that tattoo remained for six weeks and then faded. And so I was meant to meet him. I got photos of this. I thought I said I, I said I'm not laughing. I know this is true because I, I've had the experiences too. So obviously we're being guided by you know um, this is where it starts to get tricky because extraterrestrials are they under the same cosmic laws that we are in terms of cosmology and ontology? You know, is there an expansive deity that? Um, pervades the whole universe because i know there's entities out there i was told that during my nde that entities existed right throughout the universe so why are we going look i asked the question it's a rhetorical question are we going through an evolutionary phase i feel yes where some of us are being planted with thought forms as we start to expand and accept that we might not be alone And so that's planted into my consciousness whilst I'm incarnate. When I die, that thought form will be embedded into my next incarnation as an expansionary, evolutionary aspect of the next phase of our growth. 
We are apes running around shooting each other with little bits of lead and toxic poisons looking for territorial dominance. So we have five different species, main sub, uh, subgroup species in the Homo sapiens. And you've got Asians, yellow, red, black, white, and, and uh, whatever. We can't even cope with an Asian or a black or a yellow or a white or a brown. How are we going to cope when we get out there with millions of extraterrestrials in big school? Mm. So we've got to transcend this ape-like territorial dominance over each other. Groups, subgroups, secret societies, you know, money. All of these, this is very basic, basic, dense reality. So there's only, you know, so we're going to be tested. We have to be tested. All, all species, when you grow, you have to be tested. And so in the um, religious sense, in the religious testing, there's a purification time. All religions talk about it. It's starting. And this is when, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, Jew, Jewish, Native American, Australian, Indigenous, Aboriginal, Jainism, African, Voodoo, witch doctor, witch, shaman, whatever, everyone is going to be tested. We have to be tested to push us through this envelope so that we, um, all of our impurities are burnt away until we don't know what the hell's going on and we just accept that we don't know the mystery. We don't know how big this reality is. I got a glimpse of it, yes. Am I special? No, definitely not. In fact, I find it very difficult to deliver some of these concepts because people, they're not even asking the questions, Jeff. They're not even asking the right questions. They're still forcing narrative onto us. I'm saying, no, no, I think you should really listen to NDEs. I get a bit facetious sometimes, I must admit. Someone says they saw Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, did you ask him when he's coming back? Because the Bible says he's coming back. Why didn't you ask him that simple question? And, of course, people go, oh, how dare you? I said, no, no, but it's in biblical theology that Christ is coming back. Mm -hmm. It says it. So... I'm not being rude. I'm mm -hmm. just asking pertinent questions. Mm -hmm. Would you consider your NDE as a religious experience? Uh, no, no, definitely not. Uh, but I did study religion afterwards. And I can paraphrase religious dogma into a spiritual framework, hopefully, so that people can... Um, everyone's experience is important. If they see Jesus, fantastic. I didn't, but I know who he was. I know what he was and what he is in context of a greater picture. Um, I believe that he uh, that it was a title. Jesus was a title, not a person. And if someone attained that particular attainment of enlightenment, they were called a Jesus. Back in Africa, you were called an Eusaset, and it was associated with the merging of Osiris-Isis archetypes. And when you died to those archetypes through... Um, Gnostic experiences or Gnostic deaths, OBE, ACA NDE, OBE, then you got a title. So Melchizedek, you can read it in the book of Genesis, Melchizedek <clears throat> brings out bread and wine, exactly the same symbolic attributes that Jesus brings out at the Last Supper, bread and wine. So it's not a true attribute just to one person. So there's these overlaps. You say, okay, well, who were the Melchizedek priesthood? Because it's a priesthood. Mm -hmm. right and the catholic church is guilty i'm sorry i'll say it to the pope's face you you've tampered with the bible 
Pope, fix it up, get the old texts back, fix it up. Because what they did is they placed uh, three words in the book of um, Hebrews, I think it is, somewhere around there. But they placed three words uh, which caused a massive schism in Christianity. And those three words were one and only. They were the three words they took out. One and only son of God, yet the, the reference to sons of God, plural. Uh, this has been picked up by other philosophers. I'm not the first one that said this. So who were these enigmatic sons of God? Sons of God, plural, as opposed to son of God. So by making him a singular son of God, they um, they trapped Christianity into a Tupperware system, a pyramid Tupperware system where the Vatican then became the intercessionary priesthood. And that was exactly against what Jesus taught. That's what this is. This is why there was a thing called the filioque. And the filioque was a split between uh, Orthodox Christianity, Eastern Orthodox Christianity and Roman, Roman, Roman Catholic, uh, Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And they have not fixed for a thousand years. This happened over 1,600 years ago. And so they said, well, it stuffs up Pentecost when Holy Spirit comes down on everyone. Everyone. Holy Spirit directly comes down and hits everyone. And I'd say NDE is a part of that Gnostic experience. Yes. Mm. So it's no priest was involved. <laughs> this was Holy Spirit hitting everyone. And so this stuffs up the Vatican's tampering with the Bible by saying, you, know, you have to go through Jesus and by extension, you have to go through us and we'll tell you what a mystical experience is. No, I think you should listen to me, Pope John Paul II, or whomever's in power. You should start listening to us because I will say one of my predictions, and I'll call it a prophecy, is the Vatican's going to be tested. It will be tested brutally, very shortly, wow. in this purification, what they call the second death. There's a second death, which is mentioned in Revelation three times, as opposed to the first death. First death is involved in taking on the pathway of Christ consciousness. The second one, you don't want to be you don't want to be on the wrong side of spirit because you'll be on your own. It's a purification. It's now chemical purification by fire. Not external fire, internal fire. I mean, we're talking about a creator here of everything. It pervades a whole damned universe, and we're putting a universe into a tiny little chapter. No, it's it blasts every religion out of the book because it just it is a force that is so vast. And all it needs to do is focus and power. As I said, if it lifts the energy up too fast, we, we couldn't cope with it. We would not cope with it. We would go mental. We'd go psychic, absolutely psycho, because the influx of thought forms, and that's pretty much what happened to me during my NDE. I got a small dose of it, and I, this is why I'm really disturbed. I'm worried for humanity because they're going to be forced to go through an NDE we're all going to go through a near-death experience here. We won't physically die, but our beliefs will die. Everything we've known will die. Our systems will die. It's happening as we speak. We've got total chaos and collapse happening around us, and we're the last vestiges of hanging on by our fingernails. We're trying to hang on to, no, no, we don't want this to change because we're comfortable. I've got news for you. It's out of our hands. It's going to happen. It will happen. It is happening. Hmm. So we flow with it. Either go with the river or get smashed. All right. We're running out of... In a nice way. I say that in a nice way, not, okay. not in a vindictive way. I don't want anyone to be harmed, you know, right, at right. all. Right. Well, we are running out of time again. This podcast oh. just fly by. 
So before we go, uh, I believe your art, they can find your artwork at, is it johnscott.com? Uh, johnscottartist.com. johnscottartist.com. And what is the title of your book again? Uh, from memory, God's Mountain. I don't know why I called it that. It just God's sounded Mountain. good. But why? That's God's the pyramid, Mountain. wasn't that? Well, I thought so, yeah. I thought it was the original mountain, and mm-hmm. um, I was shown the secret of it. It's, um, But it's pointless. I mean, I, I've, I've released the secret of it mm-hmm. and what its purpose was, but mm-hmm. um, contextually, a lot of people won't like me releasing this. Mm-hmm. But I've purposely, because that's what I was shown to do, and it was there was a much bigger picture because it, we were in a different uh, consciousness space back then. I'm going back hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years. The pyramid is that old, and they've been hiding this. Someone's been hiding this. And so I put proof, and I show the proof of how old it is mm-hmm. <clears throat> with the height of the doorways and the water table. Right. I've spoken to scholars about they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to go near me because it's like, who are you? Are you an expert? Are you an Egyptologist? You don't need to be. I spoke directly with deity. It told me. Right. Okay. I trust it. It showed me the clues. So I put the clues in the book that I'm just sharing. What, you know, what else do you want me to do? Right. All right. So we've got your website. We've got your book. You're, you are on Facebook and we know that you interact in the near-death experience group, groups or group. I'm not sure if you do more than one. But I only do that main one. Ned, the, Ned Matinia and, um, and um, Katie Louise are the two uh, moderators there. They do a great job. Uh, what is that one called? It's got a lot of people, like over 50,000 people in the group, I believe. Uh, look, I, from memory, I, can't, I don't know off the top. I can't remember. I think it's just near-death experience. Mm. It's not hard to find. So it's an open public forum. Right, and they're kind enough um, to let me post my podcast there. No, I think it's excellent, and as I said, the moderators do a fantastic job, and it's kind of like a bubble. You don't, you know, you don't have all of these people getting rude, and and it gets sorted out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. It's a nice, safe spot if people want to share their experience. Mm-hmm. They're also associated with IANS, IANDS, mm-hmm. International Association for Near Death Studies. Mm-hmm. I think that's an admirable cause. I really do. I think that this has got to come out. People have got to learn more about this paranormal. Um, experience Mm. but more so the cosmology that you know there is a greater force out there looking out for us are you open and receptive if people message you on facebook oh to a point yeah i mean i still have to paint i'm still gonna put food (laughs) in my mouth you know it's like i'm still i still i'm a struggling artist mate i'm not rich by any means but Uh. i some i don't talk to some uh, get an intuitive feeling that it's not right Mm. some i do talk to yeah uh, okay. People who are actually reaching out, every yeah. like everyone suffers. Jeff, there's a yeah. lot of suffering out there, a lot right. of post trauma, right? Uh, with NDEs, I didn't realize it was so bad until you actually talk to people about what they went. Some of people have horrific experiences, car smashes and surgery, and mm-hmm. and there's a lot of infighting about the definition of a near death experience. I don't get into that stuff. That's the, that's ego. Mm-hmm. I got you know my heart stopped for twenty seven eight minutes and blah blah blah. It's like yeah, but what did you come back with? Mm. you know Kerry Packer an Australian billionaire mm. he's since passed away he also had a near-death experience but he saw nothing mm. now wouldn't it have been great but he he put fibrillators defibrillators which the ele- electronic heart pumps and he made sure they're in every ambulance in the country so he actually because he had a heart attack so look at the good that came out of it even though yeah. he didn't come back with any esoteric you know 
super duper stories. Right. He did. He realized that these could save people. Hats off to him. You know, mm -hmm. some people liked him. Some didn't. I think, well, the guy left a legacy. Yeah. You know, he left a brilliant legacy and he didn't see anything, but he had a near death experience. Mm -hmm. So it's what you come back with and what you do is the most important, you know, how you uh, use that power effectively to help others. Cause it's, everything's impermanent, Jeff, we're all going to die. Every single one of us is going to die. We can't get out of it. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, before we wrap it up here, do you have one last message of hope to share with the audience? Trust your gut. Um, it's not the end. It's a difficult phase. We're going through a very difficult transition. There's a lot of people playing with power. I feel sorry for them because they will get caught. Everything will be exposed. And everything we do is recorded. Absolutely everything. You cannot escape actions it's impossible hmm. heaven and hell are both down here this is something i would have liked to have discussed on a metaphysical level heaven is available here on the planet but we have to create that heaven it's not going to come without hard work and when i say work it's not about forcing a belief onto something it has to come through open communication compassion sharing without blasting everyone with our religion or our belief. It's about being open that other people have different beliefs. I think that's admirable. I mean, you put witches on and you don't judge anyone. You put religious people on, you put Gnostics, you put anti experiences, and I've never seen you once judge them. That We need more of that. And that's why I like you as a host, because you listen to everyone in the same equanimity that you give to each and every person, yet others would judge. You know, I see it all the time. Try to not judge. Uh, yeah, try to, if you see someone doing the wrong thing and they're your friend, try to just say, look, you know, you know, this is good advice for you. You know, even if it's sometimes hard advice, it's like being like a child. A child does something wrong. A bit of tough love sometimes goes, you know, the right, uh, a long way. Mm. Not too much, but. I don't know. I, I don't have all. I don't have any answers, man. I tell you, I don't have any solid answers. Just love everyone. Try your best. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah, mm -hmm. I still make them, and um, can't hide forever. But you know, you have to still interact with society. Just little steps to transmute it into a better place, because the ones that are making it a dark place, um, I don't know. I feel for, I feel sorry for them. There's something going on in their psyche that they need this kind of power so much. I, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. because the power is only temporary everything can get taken away from us when it, when the timing's right <clears throat> yeah all right john well thanks for that and thank you again for being my guest i appreciate you and i wish you massive success in everything that you do and i want to see you become from a i want to see you change from being a struggling artist to a super successful artist thanks mate. <laughs> that'd be nice that'd be nice yeah. Hey, uh, I'm just having a look at that flat earth behind you. Uh -huh. Nice. That's really nice. I could go skating on that in winter. Uh -huh. <laughs> By the way, for those of you, we're talking about this because we've been joking about the uh, flat earth. When I first met John on the very first podcast, he said, oh, you should make that earth into a flat earth. So he made this for me. He flattened out the planet and here we are. Yeah, well, there's a story behind that, isn't there? <laughs> I guess I got to. I guess I got to get a flat earther as a guest. 
That would be great. Well, you should interview Alex Proyas. Why don't you interview the director, Alex Proyas, of the film Dark City? Hmm. It's I, like a kind of like a gothic dark sci-fi that came around the time of uh, The Matrix. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm friends with Alex on Instagram. I should give him a heads up and he can do an interview with you. Yeah. Because in his, in his film, The Dark City, it's a flat earth with a city, but it's an extraterrestrial craft. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great sort of like underground cult film. I've, mm. I've watched it quite a few times. Oh, Alex Preuss, he's uh, you can look him up. He's a, he's not. I think he lives in Victoria, right, from memory. What's the name of his film again? Oh, he did I Robot, uh, Dark City. Was I Robot? One. I think I've seen yeah. I Robot. Which one was I Robot? Oh, uh, that was the one. What's that uh, African American actor? Um, and it was quite a modern one with all the robots in it. And um, is that Will Smith? Name? Yeah, Will Smith. Yeah, that's okay, he yeah. was one of the, yep, Oh, wow. Yep, well, that's Smith. interesting. Yeah, Alex did that film. Uh, he did uh, Gods of Egypt. Um, that was another one that wouldn't, mm-hmm. didn't do so well, but he knows. Um, but uh, no, no, he's, he's, he seems he's, but it was just the whole concept of Dark City mm-hmm. and the disc was an actual ex- extraterrestrial uh, vehicle traveling through space, and there was these psychic, bald-headed, dark-dressed entities that were controlling and changing time and changing mm-hmm. reality. And I thought, that's great. I mean, this is really kind of very... I don't know where he got the script from, but I'll tell you what, it's pretty accurate to some aspects of um, what's going on in these dark realms of consciousness, wow. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great film. If you get a chance to watch it, it's good. Maybe even get Alex to talk about it. I think it's a great film. That would be cool. You know, what's interesting is I've had a couple Hollywood directors on, and I recently saw on the internet that George Lucas had an NDE. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know that. I I didn't know that either. So, I, I mean, it's a long shot, but I have reached out to him and see if I can get him on the podcast Look, do it because I had you know, visually some of the stuff I store. I, I still I would like to actually paint it one day when I've got the time mm-hmm. to actually paint some of the stuff I saw in the process of going through my NDE because light is just light. It would just be a big blank canvas. How do you impregnate the emotional and psychic content? You can't. Mm-hmm. But I can definitely some of the substructural crystalline uh, gateways and hubs that I saw in my in my phase going through the quantum world, the celestial world, were bloody phenomenal. It's like I, mean, I can't I can't even describe it um, orally, but I can do it visually, and they they that's still yet to come. I feel those paintings are hovering above me, and I'll mm-hmm. enter into them as I expand in my journey, as I get older. Mm-hmm. But, man, I'd love to get hold of, say, Lucas or someone like that. I mean, I know a lovely guy called George Liddell. He's a good friend of mine. He's um, a set designer. He's working on a film in Sydney at the moment. Mm-hmm. And George and I, we get together regularly. And George is uh, he's an artist, lovely Scottish man. Um, we talk about this stuff. And I said, man, if I could just get the opportunity to storyboard this out and get some direction. I think one of my favourite um, uh, directors at the moment is... Um, Who's the guy doing Dune? Um, who's doing the modern Dune that got held back for a year? What's his name? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm curious. French Canadian. French Canadian. I'm, I'm I'm very curious to see that because I love. I really like the books and, and yeah, I've seen sorry, a couple Frank, Her- Frank Herbert yep. and I've seen the the original Dune movie and then they kind of did yep. like a thing on sci-fi or two or three. Yeah, episodes I think Ridley Scott one. did the first one. Yeah, Ridley Scott did the first version. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if it was him or something. I think it's somebody else. Okay. But see, well, he did really Blade Runner. Really, Scott yeah. did Blade Runner. Right. Yeah, but, uh, right. No, that 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 June June is was the concept was messianic concept of giant worms and stuff. And I mean, I was painting this, I was drawing these worms when I was a kid, and then this film popped up. So it's like, wow, you know, wow, worms. This is right up my alley. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so sci-fi sci-fi is really uh, moving into consciousness itself. I think Tenant was a new, another film. I mean, he did. Um, who was the guy that did uh, Tenant? The recent release. Didn't do too well at the box office, but he's done quite a few films where, uh, well, uh, yeah, things like Interstellar is another one. Yeah, um, that was a good movie. Matthew McConaughey, great yeah. film, where they yeah. talk about dimensions and the Tesseract was brilliant. I mean, I'd, I could discuss this with them, with anybody and talk about it because I thought it's a great concept because you can't shove five dimensions and express it in a three-dimensional or two-dimensional format. It's very difficult. So the Tesseract actually formulated a time-space bubble where he could access it through the library i thought that was brilliant mm-hmm. that's kind of like the akashic record that would be equivalent to the astral plane right i mean brilliant stuff so metaphysics does overlap with a lot of this stuff and sci-fi is always been about projecting future potential um mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. which is uh for me i get very excited about this stuff we, we're getting some interesting films coming out yeah. some of them are rehashed but i'd like to see some new concepts breaking through mm-hmm in terms of NDEs, and, I mean, it's very difficult to portray this stuff visually, uh-huh. very difficult, because each and every one of them are kind of like, you know, romanticised, but getting them into pure sacred geometry, as I said, you know, uh, I saw that the whole universe was a, um, a liquid crystal. That was one of the first things I picked up when I got into that realm, uh-huh. and that this liquid crystal has step-down densities, and this is why I talk about this in my book about the step-down process, You've got asymmetrical crystals and you've got symmetrical crystals. You've got, um, you know, periodic and aperiodic structures, but they all work in symmetry and then that flow down into density. It's a very complex dialogue. Mm-hmm. And it's like far out. It's, this is all the stuff that came to me afterwards. It's exciting. It's fascinating. Yeah. But um, visually placing it into a visual format, very difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. Yes, it very is. Very difficult. Even as an artist, I find it difficult to portray. Right. I could do it, but it takes time and money. You just I don't have the luxury of that. Right. And you speaking know. of time, I am running I am way over time. Ding ding. And I have to run. <laughs> ding ding. So thanks again, brother. I hope to see you soon. And um Thank you, I Jeff. wish you the best and have a great day yeah. over there. I'll get in touch with Alex and I'll send him an email or something and say, Hey, get on to Jeff Maher and see if he can't get talking. Talk to some of these Hollywood directors, open them up you know, to um, at least listen to the stories, mm-hmm. you know. That'd be, be great. great. That'd be great. Yeah, Thank I you. Agree. It's got to work in a symbiotic relationship. They can't just steal the story. It's good that they approach us and get into the nitty-gritty. That right. way you can expand on areas that, you know, that personal stuff that you mentioned that we can't really talk about. Right. I can, inf- I can infer it through the visual, possibly. I'm not saying I can do it as a promise, but I can infer and hint and say, look, try that go there and see what happens. And it's all about the visceral hook because we're all the same. Ultimately, we all have <clears throat> this sameness at an essential core. Mm-hmm. And so we recognize it. That's why we have recognition of genuine NDEs as opposed to a fabricated NDE. You know, we've all got the potential to have these experiences. Why steal them? It's just, you know, just be yourself. Yeah. They will come if you're authentic. They will come. 
Right. Not always, but often. Right. You know, I'm still asking the questions. Why me? I don't know. I don't know. Jeff, yeah. I really don't know. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, th- thanks for having me on. Right. Take care and have a great day. And I really appreciate you. And thanks to all the listeners out there. Appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Ciao. Jeff. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.